You're listening to Castrol CarCast on Podcast One. Well, an action-packed, long show for you guys planned today with Christian von Koenigsegg, who's the most fascinating human being on the planet. I wish he ran everything in California. We'd be living <laughs> in a utopia. But, boy, you want to talk about a deep dive into cars and technology and amazingness. Uh, Koenigsegg, amazing. All right, first, let's tell you about NetSuite. So, are you a business owner? Well, if you are, you don't need us telling you how tough it can be out there. You need to work more efficiently. Efficiently, I should say. Don't let QuickBooks or spreadsheets slow you down. Stop paying for the multiple systems that don't give you the info you need when you need it. Upgrade to NetSuite by Oracle, the world's number one cloud business system. Get visibility and control over financials, HR, inventory, e-commerce, and more all in one place instantaneously. Whether you're doing a million or hundreds of millions in revenue, save time, save money with NetSuite. Right, Matt? Yeah, join the over 21,000 companies using NetSuite right now. Let NetSuite show you how they'll benefit your business with a free product tour at netsuite.com slash carcast. So schedule your free product tour right now at netsuite.com slash carcast. Again, that's netsuite.com slash carcast. Welcome to the MIP. Yeah! <laughs> you knew this was coming. Guess who? Oh. Let me start this thing off. Join me every week for the Michael Irvin Podcast. We'll give you the full MIP experience. I'm talking everything from football to fashion. I will be chopping it up with playmakers, headline makers, and I am throwing haymakers. I'm the MVP of the MIP. Don't miss it. Download new episodes of the MIP, the Michael Irvin Podcast, every Thursday on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, and Spotify. Yeah, get it on. Got to get it on. No choice but to get on a mandate. Get it on. And welcome to CarCast. I'm Adam Carroll. That's Matt, the moderator, DeAndrea. Hello. How you doing? Over there. Big show planned for you guys yeah. today with a very good guest. So let me just knock out J.B. Weld right at the top. J.B. Weld, proud sponsor of CarCast, epoxy adhesive brand used by both pros and DIYers. As well, trusted for over 50 years and available at jbweld.com and of course dodge time for uh, dodge power dollars that means uh, for each horsepower you get uh, 10 bucks toward your purchase of a dodge charger challenger and durango so uh, come on down it's dodge power dollars and uh, get an amazing deal all right christian von Koenigsegg. hope i said that right and sasha selipanov i say oh i had to screw up selipanov how do i say that is that right Good enough. <laughs> Go ahead and say it. How do you say it? Selipanov. Selipanov. Yeah, that's not, oh, that not, was not good. too You're far off. A little wrong. Just a moving accent here and there. It's close. It's good. <laughs> Koenigsegg, uh, of course, Christian, you you know Sasha's a designer for Koenigsegg and, and, and beyond. And uh, so you guys are in Sweden, so I know there's a big time difference, and normally we bring the guests in 10 minutes into the show, but uh, we had you on the line, so we figured why not uh, Why not get going? So welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much, Anna. Um, we're big fans of, uh, of your product. 
Um, I, you know, for for us, our opportunity is just sort of every year when we go to Monterey Car Week and we go to the Quail event. That's our opportunity to see what's new and what's great coming from you guys. Because other than a few uh, cars in the used market that pop up at the auctions, when we want to go see, let's say the Jesco, uh, that you're one of the newest cars you guys have, certainly the most, the the fastest one out there. That was one we got to see at uh, at Quail. So what of one of the booths, one of the displays we look forward to every year for sure. Yeah, I mean it's um, an amazing event, and uh, it was really sad this year it didn't happen. Yeah, I mean there were many events that didn't happen, so uh, we're just holding our breath for next year and uh, piling up the cool cars we we plan to bring. You know, so. Yeah, uh, hopefully next week we can have a go again. I was saying to Matt when we were talking about talking to you guys, um, I I love automobiles. I do find that some of the hypercars, um, at a certain point, they lose me aesthetically because I'll come around to a compliment. Don't worry. But um, <laughs> <laughs> and I love jets military jets from the 60s and the 70s because everyone just designed their own stuff at a certain point the computer took over and they all started coming out the same shape because the computer doesn't lie so we ended up getting very slabby and very sort of sterilized and and each country's plane started to look the same because the computer was spitting out the same data in the wind tunnel and uh, so some some of the super some of the hypercars, although obviously they perform, there's an aesthetic that's not as pleasing to me. It feels austere or or cold or sort of computer driven. But your stuff remains uh, aesthetically strong. Um, it has a like strong kind of old school GT look, a look that we love of the old kind of Aston Martin and just stuff that has shoulders to it and uh so how do you balance the aesthetic with trying to set the lap record at the Nürburgring? right so i'll start out trying to answer that and then uh, sasha can fill in but um i mean to me it's important that the cars are still kind of beautiful in a way i mean they have to be functional of course and and beauty cannot take over uh what the cars need to be capable of achieving as that wouldn't make sense for a hypercar, but there is this fine balance where you can let beauty into the picture. And many times, you know, the beautiful shapes are also efficient. And, and if you ask a computer, like make the most aerodynamic shape you can, uh, and it doesn't have a sense for beauty, it will make it at least as aerodynamic and maybe more so, but, but it doesn't look any good. So by balancing those two carefully, I think you can, well, I think we've even proven you can achieve, uh, a nice look, uh, uh, let's say a timeless look, preferably, that's what we're after, and a natural, beautiful uh, sense, but with efficiency and good aerodynamics. And and Sasha and I, we have kind of a fun bantering going on sometimes that beauty is not in the eye of the beholder. Beauty is beauty and ugly is ugly kind of thing. So I don't know <laughs> yes. what you want to say about that, Sasha. Yeah, you pretty much summed it up, Christian. I mean, uh, I think that uh, um, the let's say, mainstream direction in car design or in hypercar design actually, in my opinion, has less to do with function than with taste. 
at the moment. I think the, some of the shapes that we're seeing on cars today have to do with what we perceive market wants or what we perceive the customer taste has evolved into. Uh, Hypercars today are not uh, at the level of optimization that you know would dictate every millimeter of their surface through some computer-generated pressure maps. That's not how they're designed. Um, and I guess it's it's great when people um, have similar tastes like Krishna and I do and can align ourselves well in that respect and uh, use good sound logic and good sound uh, um, yeah, process to come up with things that are both beautiful and performing at the same time. But and, I, and I remember when I, when I started out, I um, said to myself, I probably will not be able to change models very often. It will take time for me to perfect and make the company produce it, and, and it, just, it, it will be many, many years. So it has to be timeless. Um, and um, we're basically avoiding trends in a way. And I think the inspiration was from cars like in a different segment, but anyway, like Porsche 911, maybe uh, the Ford GT originally as well, like these cars that just look amazing over time, the 250 GTO um, and, and, and are sometimes a little bit difficult to, to put a finger on. I mean, sometimes we hear people, they see a 2002 Koenigsegg CC8S. Oh, is this your latest model? Uh, no, it's actually, you know, uh, almost uh, 20 years old. So um, uh, anyway, enough about that. <laughs> Explain to me just a little bit about the working relationship, the process between you guys, because I've always thought of as a Koenigsegg as, a, of course, a, a, a hypercar company, some of the fastest cars in the world. But I don't know, just in my mind, I saw it as more uh, an engineered, engineering-driven company. So do, do you come up with, Christian, do you and your team come up with certain innovations first, the engine technology or the wing or something on the Jesco, or, or the, what's the process in, in putting yeah. pen to paper with Sasha on designing a car like the Jesco? I think what you said is kind of interesting. You, you used the word process, and... I think it's more the lack of process that we use <laughs> that gives us the creativity to figure out stuff along the way. It's like, oh, there's an opportunity here. Let's have a coffee break and or just brainstorm around it. We can put this thing here, and when we figure that one out, we can put this here, and why don't do this? And we can take a 90-degree turn here and do this instead. You know, so it's, it's more like a lack of process and more like aim to excel and make something amazing and avoid process unless we need it. It's maybe... Kind of the answer to that, I think. What is your favorite? Here's a couple off the wall questions for uh, both of you because your aesthetic and design is so strong. Pick your best year or era, couple of years, as just purely aesthetically for F1. Wow, <laughs> that's a good question. And here, I think actually Sasha will be stronger and more precise than I will be. I am um, not like an avid follower of Formula One. I kind of look at it sporadically and find it cool. Um, but um, I would say mid-80s to me, maybe 60s, you know, those cigar cars before mm -hmm. wings, and then maybe end of 70s, early, early mid-80s is kind of what I would say. But Sasha is much more detailed on this, so go ahead. Yeah, so my favorite... Uh... I love all the F1 cars. This is for me my favorite mode of transportation, <laughs> visually. 
<laughs> but um, my favorite car is probably the MP44 and all the way until 641 Ferrari. So I would say mid-80s until early 90s. Those cars were, were absolutely striking visually and seeing them on track with uh, the sound of the engines and the amount of work that the drivers put into correct. Yeah, we're looking at them now. The oversteer moments and just how unstable and raw those cars were. That's pretty much it. I, MP44 and then 641 Ferrari. That there's five six years there that are the best. Thing. I think. I would also say at the end of the 70s we had this Swedish driver, uh, kind of behind Mario Andretti, but uh, really a star, Ronnie Pedersen, and he drove the the uh, Lotus. Uh, don't know exactly the denomination, but it had this amazing livery of John Player Special. You know, this black and gold. And since he was a Swede and uh, and uh, and had this amazing looking car and was amazingly fast, unfortunately he. He had an accident and, and passed away in one of those, but uh, really, really striking car and striking driver. I was about to say, literally, the Lotus John Player Special livery. I was thinking more the one Mario Andretti drove, maybe a little before Ronnie. But to me, because for me, in, in F1, when the front tire and the rear tire became about the same size, it screwed up the aesthetic for me. <laughs> in the late mid-late 70s, in the Lotus John Player Special, the rear tire was a barrel. Yeah. And the front tire <laughs> right. was about... Crazy. Yeah, the front tire was probably less than half of right. the rear tire, and it just gave such a, a great aesthetic. I think Ronnie died in a fire, I, I believe. He did. Was he? he did. He got... He got- it was some kind of a starting accident, first corner, if I remember correctly. And, uh, um, yeah, it was very tragic. Yes, sorry. So um, the next question, uh, aesthetically, and uh, I'll, I'll, I'll make it a little more interesting. Favorite car in, in race, favorite cars in race trim. And the reason I say race trim is I'm a big fan of Datsun 510s and I have some BRE 510s and I, I love Pete Brock and I, I love that aesthetic. I love the paint scheme. I love that world. And I have some racing 510s and I love the sort of simple aesthetic of the 510, but out of race trim, you know, in stock showroom trim, I'm I'm not interested at all in the car. So I'll open it up to in race trim. What are your some some of your favorites? So I mean, a really crazy, uh, let's say, conversion from a boring road car to an amazing looking racing car. I think is the this uh, like 80s rally metro UK little hatchback thing it was turned from absolutely something awful into an absolute monster <laughs> but that's of course rally um i think uh otherwise you know uh some of the dtm cars in the 90s very radical changes uh the alfa romeo um the audi 80 uh very radical yeah you're right even uh, uh mercedes dtm pretty radical one of oh, our yeah. favorites over here would probably be BMW M1, the pro car, so much Beautiful. better than the street car, right? Sasha, what are your some some of your picks? So basically everything and anything that goes racing is kind of beautiful. Um, so I, I love them all. But uh, uh, of what has not been mentioned yet, I guess I would say um, – the the group B cars obviously Delta Integrale then 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 uh, GT1 cars uh, or even the F40 LM the McLaren F1 Le Mans winner 
than the CCGT. I have to mention that didn't unfortunately work, <laughs> but mm-hmm. I'm completely in love with that car. I have posters of it all over my apartment now, Koenigsegg. Um, just anything and everything that is meant to go out there and win a race for me looks beautiful. And, and just that's the right thing to do with cars. Wow, Sasha, that's two references to McLaren now. So I can <laughs> see where some of your influence may come from uh, uh, for, from that brand for sure. Uh, Christian and Sasha, um, I, uh, I'm, I'm assuming, uh, Christian, you're, you're about efficiency First and foremost, I, and I mean that in a very broad term. I'm that way. I don't like waste. I don't like designs that could be better. I, I hate bad ergonomics. I hate when I pick up a TV remote and I look, have to look for the power button, like you're in a hotel room and it takes you 10 minutes to find the power button. Why isn't my thumb <laughs> sure. just going to it? Why right. is it the same size and in black and in the middle of other buttons? Why isn't it red and up at the top <laughs> and the left? Do you just sort of walk through your... I don't like the fact that out here, our, restaurants do, our restaurant doors say push and pull. I don't like that they both start with a P-U and have four letters. I don't like that everyone goes the wrong direction on the doors. It's inefficient. It should say push and yank or anything other than push and pull. It shouldn't start with the first two yeah. letters, right? It's totally inefficient. It's a horrible idea. It would dry, If I was in charge, I would immediately outlaw using push and pull as a designation on the same door. Yeah. Is that how you go through life? I would actually, I, I can recognize that a lot. Uh, actually, when I go into a busy town or something, and there are, I mean, I live in the countryside and the factory is an open area with an airfield and it's beautiful and nice. And uh, I mean, I travel a lot, of course, but I, I also get overloaded by stupid details when I travel, <laughs> especially when I'm not used to it. It's like overload. Why is that thing here? And why did they do that? And I get frustrated. And I just want to go home to the factory and build cars, basically. But, but um, so, no, e- efficiency to me is kind of everything. You should you should be able to bake in beauty with efficiency and and stay away from unnecessary frills. Uh, is kind of a, the Koenigsegg model in many ways. I mean, we have made the cars maybe a little bit more luxurious in the later days on customer demand and so on, keeping them a little bit less austere. But but let's say there's a big difference if you look in in European sports car or supercar design. You start down in Italy, you have uh, kind of the flair and the bling a little bit more, the more colors and so on. Then you move up north and you kind of come to Germany and England and, and it get, gets a little bit more, what should I say, business-like perhaps. Um, yeah. uh, le- less, I wouldn't say less passion. It's a colder kind of passion. It's you know, like a, a Finnish F1 driver. They don't say so much, but they're damn fast and passionate anyway. And then, of course, we next to Finland and north of Germany, we have Sweden. So, um, and, and I don't think we're, uh, Swedes are famous for like, uh, um, what's the right word? Um, uh, well, Flair, panache. Flair, or, you know, yeah, exactly. Ostentatious stuff. It's more about function, um, uh, minimalistic design, maybe, um, and, and timelessness in a certain way, I think. So, so I think that our cars are testament for where they come from, and, and so are other cars. But I have yeah. to say something. I think that what shocked me the most coming to Koenigsegg was when Christian sat me down and said, you know how we're going to have cup holders in the Jumeirah? We're going to have eight of them. <laughs> and I thought he was totally joking, and then turned out this is one of our like you know unique approaches in the way that we build our cars is we don't sacrifice uh, functionality, we don't sacrifice basic human uh, factors and human needs, and we still create 
hopefully the fastest cars out there. How yeah. how does the business model work, or how is it working? And uh, Chris, can you put up a picture of the Jesco? I just want to take a look at the inside and the outside of the car. Um, how many units do you aim? Do you want to make a year? Um, how does it work? Are are people? Is every car made to order? Is there a what is the lead time? How does how does it work? So um, yeah. Basically, uh, being a fairly small car company, we tend to um, show a functioning car, preferably uh, some time before the production, so we can gauge interest uh, and take orders. Um, and of course, it's always very limited uh, edition of cars. Um, but when we when we at least see there's an interest out there, we go for uh, for production, and that usually takes a year or two or so, or maybe three even. Uh, after the actually unveiling of the car. Um, and then we have a couple of years of production run. Uh, and we do take, let's say, a, a down payment uh, at order. We do take a down payment at start of production, and we do take a big chunk when we deliver the cars. So the, the whole process is, uh, I would say, to fairly largely financed by the owners of the cars. Um, and uh, I think that, yeah, that's a, in a nutshell how it works. Is every car built according to the build sheet that the customer wants for that specific car? Absolutely. I mean, I would call, even though we have a production line and we're like a homologated uh, series car producer with worldwide homologation, which is kind of unusual for, for such a small company. But having said that, every car is a project. Um, I mean, it's, we really go into detail to customize everything for, for our owners that they really get the bespoke experience and a tailor-made uh, car for themselves and, and for their taste. I mean, sometimes people go on the production line and say, whoa, that's a really weird-looking car. Yeah, but maybe not in Taiwan or Japan. Maybe in our tastes are different, you know. So even though we, we, we guide and steer our owners and customers towards what we like, we still listen a lot to their local tastes and needs as well so there's always kind of a mix and over the years sometimes we even get influenced by these kind of different cultures and weave them into our products in general which is kind of exciting any plans i i was sort of thinking i like when good companies um branch out you know i'm glad honda makes a miniature jet you know i like Mm -hmm. the idea that honda has taken their technology and put it into a jet and mm-hmm. obviously, your company into a personal jet sounds pretty damn awesome as well. But your company into a leaf blower or a lawnmower or a yeah. coffee maker. Yeah. It all sounds like a good idea <laughs> a to me. A race boat. You know? uh, yeah, a yeah. race boat. So, kind of funny you mentioned these things. Because, <laughs> uh, not that I plan to talk about it, but uh, we have this pretty cool power plant in the uh, Jamira. The world's most power dense compact uh, combustion engine ever conceived for production vehicles that is homologated and that can run on renewable fuels like ethanol, methanol, and you can have hybridization and so on. But basically, from a from a small three cylinder package weighing like seventy five kilos, you get six hundred horsepower and six hundred newton meters of torque. And wow. we're actually playing around with making that into a, uh, a small airplane aircraft engine by drastically increasing. Uh, power to weight ratio, which is very important for airplanes, and to introduce kind of renewable fuels, um, and also uh, for the marine applications. I mean, th- this uh, engine were was really conceived to fit 
anywhere where a big engine is needed and anywhere where a small engine can fit <laughs> and, and for various applications. And given the kind of free valve technology we've implemented as well, it also improves kind of the redundancy uh, for, for these different applications in various forms. So, yeah, I mean, not so many leaf blowers in mind, but, but <laughs> let's say marine and airplanes and these kind of things might, might be in the future. So it's a straight three, inline three configuration. What is Correct. the displacement? So it's a two-liter engine, uh, twin-turbo three-cylinder dry sump engine. Uh, as we have what we call free valves, that's a sister company to Koenigsegg, uh, where we developed an, a new kind of valve technology where we remove the camshafts and we can run each valve individually, um, completely independent from each other. So we have, uh, it basically looks like a short straight six because we have uh, one exhaust uh, manifold pipe for each valve. And for each cylinder, one exhaust valve goes to one turbo and the other goes to the other turbo. So um, at, 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 let's say, uh, lower RPMs, full throttle, we only open uh, one exhaust valve and shove all the exhaust gases to the first turbo. So we spool that up quickly and then we open the second exhaust valve. And as we have also variable intake valves of the same nature, we don't need throttle bodies. Uh, we can skip cycle. We, we actually throttle with the valves in, in the combustion process. So from one cycle to another, we can go from absolutely lowest uh, load to highest load. And it, it gives this kind of electrical response, which has never before been hmm. experienced in a combustion engine. How do you... So, I was going to say, how do you control the valves? Is it oil pressure? Is it electronic? Uh, yeah. So we're not the first uh, company to try to remove the camshaft from a combustion engine. I mean, if you would have asked an engine developer in the 50s or in the 40s or the 30s, whatever, I guess if you would have asked the Tory Bugatti, you know, if you remove the camshaft and you can play freely with the valves, is that something you would like to do? He would immediately think, yeah, that would be great. I could do this. I could do that and that and that. And then he would ask questions, yeah, but how would you do that? And I mean, you need, first of all, computer control. Otherwise, it wouldn't be fast enough or you wouldn't have like uh, closed loop feedback capabilities and so on. Uh, secondly, uh, you need a way to move this valve at high RPM backwards and forwards with low energy uh, consumption. Um, and it's, this is more difficult than it sounds like. People have tried electromagnets, but they can become huge and warm and needs a lot of cooling if you're going to have some RPM. Some have tried hydraulics, and you pump it backwards and forwards, you get a lot of squeeding noise and a lot of energy losses, and the oil heats up. So um, we came about to do it in a way where we have pneumatic uh, ballistic knockout of the valve. So we shoot it out a little shot of air. It flies ballistically basically out of the head, and then we have a hydraulic lock that latches basically the sort of the stem of the valve and holds it. And then we have an air spring pushing it back and then a hydraulic damper uh, on the stem uh, tip for, for the seating. I told have, you, Matt. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> then we have position sensors to control this in computers. So basically, it's a mix of pneumatics, hydraulics, and electromechanics for controlling the valve. It sounds incredibly so, complicated. <laughs> and that was the only way to make it small, light, and energy efficient. If you try to take one of those, it doesn't work. But if you combine... The, the, the pneumatics with what it likes is just knock away things. And then the hydraulics to latch and hold, not pump. And then the electro electromagnetics just to open and close small valves for the hydraulics and the air. It's happy as well. So and, it, and what it, RPM it does this engine go to? Make to? It work, basically. Sorry? What RPM does this engine go to? What, what? So I would say this system kind of is happy up to a maximum of nine to 10,000 RPM so far. 
And this particular three-cylinder is 8,500 RPM. How did you arrive at a three-cylinder three architecture? Because we've, have, we've had a few three-cylinder automobiles out here, usually little sort of econo boxes. Yeah. Uh, Audi famously has a straight five. It was always kind of, well, maybe that's where it comes from, the Audi uh, five. But it, it was always... Here in America, the notion was always even numbers. You have a four-cylinder, a six, a V6, straight six, V8, whatever, or yeah. 12, but it had to have an even configuration, even a V10. Where, Why sure. three and not four? And also, if you're well, looking for RPM, don't you want a little smaller piston? Right, right. So uh, we have uh, trained ourselves on our V8 to make uh, kind of fairly big bore uh, pistons very light, so we can rev them hard. Also, we have a unique uh, connecting rod system, and we developed uh, the world's lightest uh, V8 crank for our V8, and also this three-cylinder is incredibly light for, for, for the power it can do. But it was basically just counting backwards and forwards, size and power and weight. I would also say the the um, the sound plays a factor with the free valves and three-cylinder and a two-liter displacement. We have basically similar big bores like on a Harley Davidson, but we have more, one cylinder more. So you don't have a kind of a small sounding engine. It sounds more or less like a Harley with one more cylinder. So it's pretty, pretty beefy sounding thing for being so small, which is important, I think, for a sports car. But also um, these actuators, the free valve actuators are, of course, uh, advanced pieces of machinery, and we can save four if we do a three-cylinder. Uh, we don't need uh, the piston connector rod and a shorter crank compared to four-cylinder. And um, for our application, 600 horsepower was enough with 600 uh, newton meters of torque given the hybridization of the vehicle as well. Uh, so we just felt that the three-cylinder was a, a compelling package of uh, compactness, power, weight, and sound. Is the 600 hmm. uh, newton meters of torque, what does that translate into in terms of foot-pounds just for this ugly American? Exactly. That's a very good question. But I, I guess it's... Uh, uh, what could it be like? Four hundred foot pounds, maybe. Uh, okay. We'll we'll look it up, but just because it obviously four hundred foot pounds. Obviously, like it seems like the horsepower. I won't say is easy, but you know, massaging a lot of horsepower out of a out of out of a small displacement is something you know F one's exactly. been doing for a while. But the foot pounds, the torque is a is is tougher. Four forty, so that's a ton. Of right. torque, or and it's two, it's two like, tons, sorry. <laughs> exactly. And we have, we have like uh, in foot-pounds then around 280 foot-pounds at 1,700 RPM because we spun wow. the turbo on the first valve already then, wow. which is even crazier for, for a three-cylinder. So you could see that that motor, that engine spinning an airplane prop or spinning a prop that's in water. Absolutely, absolutely. And with the free valve system, and we also have this flex fuel, you can – Run in any climate, even if it's super cold, like in, uh, yeah, in the in the northern hemisphere. Uh, uh, if you if you have like minus twenty degrees Celsius, way below the freezing point, you can start on pure alcohol and pure methanol. Given how we can operate these valves, so you can run completely CO two neutral in any climate. It's like you know, in Brazil they have this E hundred vehicles, and that kind of works because Brazil is not so cold. But as soon as you go colder, you need E eighty five, and you need to put petrol in it to make it work. But with this free valve technology, you can fire in any cold climate pure alcohol or pure methanol that potentially could be produced completely CO2 neutral. But and I have a I have a feeling you guys would 
not stop or be satisfied with just selling the motors to an airplane fuselage manufacturer. I feel like you'd want a hand in the design of the aircraft as well. <laughs> well uh, locked up on a yeah. happy note. He's <laughs> <laughs> laughing. I think we... Uh, well, why don't you do a quick spot here, we, Matt? We froze, yeah. If, uh, in case. Uh, yeah, so our friends at Dodge, summertime is the best time to join the Brotherhood of Muscle. With Dodge Power Dollars, you get $10 off based on the total horsepower of every new Dodge. That's every 2020 Challenger, every Durango, and Charger. Enjoy the sweet sounds of a Dodge Charger STAR-T Scat Pack. It's got 485 horsepower, and you'll get $4,850 off. And, uh, and this summer, Power Dollars is back on the Dodge Durango as well. It's a performance-driven SUV, so uh, you can make summer trips a breeze. You can fit everyone in Durango's seven-passenger seating capacity. So if you get more power, you get more off. It's that easy. Hurry into your local Dodge dealer today to take advantage of Dodge Power Dollars. Uh, so Christian is back up. Sasha, are you? Yep, Sasha's there as well. Uh, so what What about, I mean, well, certainly I, I, from Sasha's point of view, designing, <laughs> <laughs> designing the plane or the boat or getting a hand in that would be important, right? Yeah, absolutely. I would love to. Um, of course, the technology is there now. We just need somebody who's interested in, in doing something like that. And we have some ideas how to pursue that direction. You know, I, I also had a question about, we were talking about, of course, about this this three-cylinder, you know, uh, gas engine, if you will, but the future is leaning more and more toward electrification as well. And the Gemra, the, the, which is an incredible car that you guys developed, this four-seater but two-door using your same door technology and design, so it's got these crazy big wings on the side, basically. Uh, is this... And forgive me for not knowing all of the details. Is this the first car that is a hybrid coming from you? Does the Jesco use it as well? Explain the system. Um, actually, the Jesco uses our uh, light-speed transmission, which is a, a non-hybrid transmission, which we just developed, which is amazing. You can shift light-speed fast from any gear to any other. It's super compact and light because we compound gears and so on. But the first hybrid we made is the Regera, and that's a car we produce now. Uh, it's... Um, uh, 1500 horsepower um, car um, with 2000 newton meters of torque. Hmm. It was the world's first 800 volt uh, production car in the world. We beat the Taken by about two years to the market. Um, so it's really st- a state of the art kind of, let's call it an electrified car or electric car. I mean, we can remove the combustion engine and you have 700 horsepower electric. And on top of that, we have 1200 horsepower combustion engine and no gears. And it's, it's what we call the Koenigsegg direct drive patent. So uh, you can go from, I mean, we have the world record in zero to 250 uh, miles per hour in, in just over 20 seconds and back down to zero again in just over 30 seconds. So right now that's the fastest car up to 250 miles per hour and back down again in the world um, uh, in one gear. Um, and, and, and the reason why we keep the combustion engine and don't only make a, a, a pure electric car is that uh, with the range we get and the power we get, we save about three, 400 kilos of weight. And the sports car gets a roar, which it otherwise wouldn't. But you have that electrifying electric response, which is so exciting with an electric car, but much less weight. Again, this is also a car that is capable of, of running on renewable fuel. So given that you have uh, brake recuperation, electric brake recuperation, uh, and you can run the engine uh, very frugal compared to its power level, um, I mean, it's it's a very good answer for for an environmentally conscious, super fast, much lighter than an electric car, sports car. 
and, and that kind of laid the foundation for the Jamira. The Jamira, we kind of switched it around. Instead of having uh, uh, 700 horsepower electric and, and 1200 horsepower uh, combustion, we kind of did it exactly the other way around. Uh, so it's it's about the opposite, uh, and, and that's where the three-cylinder comes into play. But the Jamira then is, is a four-seater, four-wheel drive, four-wheel steer, family monster with eight cup holders, four hot ones and four cold ones, <laughs> and with isofix seats for your child seat as well. So it's kind of a, a completely new take on what a hypercar can be. Uh, it's kind of have the cake and eat it. You can bring four carry-on luggages. You can be two... Uh, sorry, four two-meter tall persons. You can basically get four uh, basketball players in the car, uh, and you just wouldn't believe it when you see it. It's, it's truly a marvel of packaging, in, uh, from my point of view. I, I'm, I'm so in, I'm so impressed. I'm enamored with this car. Just uh, for for basically everything that you just said, the idea of of a big four-seater, and and I I don't know. I think. In in America, we like super sedans. You know, as much as we love a Porsche 911, we are it, it, we do love Panamera and Taycan as well, and and uh, and you know BMW M5 and in M8 Grand Coupe. You know, the four doors. So the idea yeah, of this is kind of taking that to to eleven, uh, yeah. <laughs> and it, it's really no drawback from a two seat to hyper mega car it just happens to have more luggage space and two more seats it's still a carbon monocoque it's still a two door with the can say dihedral synchrohelix doors it does zero to 60 in under two seconds <laughs> um it, it is really a full like full out hyper mega car uh but with two more seats what does it weigh uh, say something as well um the 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 regera i was like fortunate enough to to drive it a couple of times and there's nothing like it at all on the market first of all it has the sound it pulls it accelerates like crazy but the way it does without breaking a sweat is surreal i mean the, the fact that there's no gears that it goes through the fact that it doesn't make any kind of uh, fuss about it it's just insanely fast and translating that feeling to a four-seat car i think it's going to be a winner it's, it's going to be pretty amazing what is the approximate price tag for that car uh, it's a, a very approximately exactly $1.5 million. <laughs> <laughs> and Plus local taxes and so on. And if you want to have custom solutions on top of those. The, uh, so are there any thoughts? So I'm, I'm sorry for uh, always looking down the road, but I, I do feel like that's just what people like you guys do. It's a constant evolution. Um, is there any thought to doing a people's car so to speak like taking this technology as we know a carbon fiber tub back in mclaren uh, f1 93 you know 1993 days that the tub took you know six months and cost uh six hundred thousand dollars you know now it takes 10 minutes and costs 10 bucks you know for the same because the technology is just flying forward things are getting cheaper easier is there any thought about the challenge of making a sort of universal car that was affordable for, for the people. Yeah, I would put it like this. Uh, Koenigsegg as a company with our 400 employees, we're not geared to mass-produce cars at this moment in time. And I think if we would try to make that jump in the short term, it would be very disturbing to what we're doing and, and also very risky. But um, and risk is we're not risk adverse per se, but but at the same time we're kind of happy with what we're doing. Um, but I would say uh, the technology we develop that we're developing is kind of trickling down one way or the other, either by by being copied 
which is the greatest form of flattery, I guess, uh, or or us actually helping other car manufacturers, and that is that is happening as we speak. Yeah, that uh, so, that was more sort of I should have couched it that way. I would assume you would sort of design it, use the technology, and then you know hand it off to or sell it to VW or whomever. Right, right. So, so I would say at, at this point in time, sometimes we get copied and sometimes we get something for it. And in many ways, both are fine. I mean, it's, it's hap- we're happy to contribute one way or the other in a sense. So, And uh, back to the airplane. Is there going to be an airplane? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think uh, we're, we would say way too much. if we said, uh, It's not in, in the cards right now, but we are planning on, 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 uh, on getting this engine into the air. And and after that is achieved, you know, who knows what the next steps could be. So. All right. I'm hearing you're actively working on an I, aircraft. I, I, I feel like Sasha just took <laughs> sketches off the back of the wall over there just to make sure there's no airplanes hanging that he's but already designed. I saw a designed. very cool airplane the other day. This was just unveiled, a Californian startup called Otto Aviation or something. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the real next uh, next level of, of uh of a private transportation at a com- fraction of the cost, higher speed, longer range. It also had kind of a revolutionary V12 engine in it with a prop in the rear. And I think that is really, really something quite exciting. Ah, see, you've been researching it. Yeah. You've already been looking into it. <laughs> you, just, you, just the, you just mentioned airplanes, but uh, we're more interested in building wormholes and all kinds of teleportation devices. <laughs> <laughs> that I believe. That uh, It's funny, that airplane, Chris, you can find a picture of it was just being described to me i just got off a southwest flight from phoenix arizona so uh, nobody wants a a private aircraft that's efficient more than i do but um yeah that was just being described to me i guess it's a push versus a pull uh propeller which i i can't figure out why is why is one better than the other or more efficient than the other I like the push aesthetically, but the pull seems to be the one everyone arrived yeah, on. So I would put it like this. They kind of work well. I mean, both of them work really well. That's why they both exist. They just have slightly different characteristics. But, of course, you're not, you don't need to push all that uh, energized air over the uh, fuselage of the airplane if it's in the back. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, it enables the shape of the fuselage to have this uh, self-lifting shape. It, mm-hmm. it, it almost looked like a Zeppelin in that plane, mm-hmm. and that's why the wings can be so uh, so narrow and far back. Yeah, and, and that's also the reason for the fuel saving that actually the fuselage lifts itself. So it's more like enabling that shape of the airplane than it's much more efficient to have the propeller in the rear. Yeah, it looks like a Zeppelin or oh, you know what we'd call. And you get enormous dirigible. space in there. That's amazing. Yeah. It, it looks like a blue whale. It's it's kind of crazy looking. It doesn't look like anything that would work. Yeah. But uh, evidently, I don't know what the cruising speed is on that plane, though. Do you? It was pretty fast. I don't have the exact number in front of me, but it was like like jet, small jet fast, you know. Wow. Um, 400 so, knots or some 450 knots or something like that. So how many how many units all all total is a is a goal or an average for a Koenigsegg? You know, um, we keep going up a little bit in our limited editions, and it's always kind of been limited editions. In the beginning, not that we knew exactly how many, but it was like 10 or 12 or 20. Then we started saying, we're not going to do more than six of that or 30 of this. And the Regera was the highest volume, well, we have in production right now, which is 80 units. And uh, we, we were like a little bit scared when we said that because it's still a very expensive bespoke car. Um, and then, then we fairly quickly sold out on that one. And then we came up with the Yesco, 
uh, we said 125 and we sold them out even faster than the, than the Regera. Uh, and now with the Jumeirah, we're doing a 300 of the four-seater. That's why we also can have a slightly more reasonable price or whatever I should call it. Uh, and um, and that is the highest volume we've ever endeavored. Uh, but it's not in one year. It's over like two and a half, three years period of time to make those cars. But it's still a big step up from maybe 30 cars a year or 40 cars a year. So, um, and yeah, that that has gone really well. And it's been received extremely well, even through these Corona times. We're really pleased with the ordering intake and everything we're getting for that car. Um, I'm not sure if we will grow much bigger than that in the near uh, near future but uh, i guess it's kind of a step by step process and and we're still extremely small volumes of course compared to any any large car manufacturer whether it's 100 or or 50 or or 200 cars per year i guess well let's you brought up uh, the covid times we're living in obviously we'd be sort of remiss as uh, interviewers if we didn't bring up sweden's approach to it which Living in Los Angeles, California, we've had the exact opposite of the Swedish approach. Our approach is you can go to the beach, but you can't lay down on the beach. It's too dangerous to lay down on the beach. So we have a slightly different mindset when it comes to dealing with coronavirus. But And I know I don't want to get into numbers and statistics, but the overall mindset that the Swedes approached us with versus, I guess, us. I live in Los Angeles. We just came at it from a full fear-based mode. Not me, not Matt, but everyone else seems to be scared to death versus how the Swedes approached it. Can you discuss that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, first of all, it's, of course, the whole thing is scary and people die from it. You can get really sick. Uh, so that is not to be taken lightly. Uh, having said that, uh, the Swedish health authority said, guys, try to stay away from each other. If you feel at all sick, stay home. Kids still go to school and stay away, stay away from elderly. This kind of pan out to a large degree, apart from in the beginning, we got a lot of issues in the uh, elderly care. Then when that leveled off, in, out, out in society, it has actually not been very bad. And right now we're doing great. And uh, it has been such a relief to not have this kind of locked-in sensation and i have had to travel a little bit through europe and when you come to other countries you're masked you're really like uh, in, a, in an alien environment compared to here um and and who knows what's right or wrong the only thing i can say right now is sweden is doing comparatively really good we had our hit in the beginning and it's so difficult to say what's right or wrong and we might have it horrible in two months again who knows but but we're doing okay and and we got to work away and stay more normal than most countries, which I'm grateful for. Um, and, and of course, it is easy to panic about these things. Um, and it is dangerous, but it's also, I mean, let's say if we're talking about cars, traffic, it's also dangerous and still we allow it. So you can, of course, overreact to things that and, and, and treat them in different ways. And I think we've, we've been overall comparatively okay, but it could have been better, of course. Of course. Obviously, you put on your you. Well, I say I was going to say put on your engineering hat, but you never really take off your engineering hat, do you? You to look at whether it's the way a door opens in an automobile or a pandemic. You just sort of view everything through a bunch of numbers and risk assessments and reward assessments, and then you arrive at a at a sensible conclusion. Whereas we see 
in California, everything is just we put on the panic goggles and we see everything through the panic goggles versus the engineering hat that you guys wear. It's a compliment. Well, <laughs> okay, well, I, yeah, maybe that's how it is here. I don't, not everyone in Sweden is an engineer, of course. But, but, <laughs> what? Uh, I think we, we have, I think we're, maybe the word is pragmatic about it. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, and if it's kind of tend to work out and you have an issue somewhere, you don't let it affect everything maybe somehow. You know? Well, there's a, probably the biggest Ikea in the country about two blocks from where we're sitting right now. And uh, I can tell you, you guys are pragmatic people because when you walk up and down the aisle, you go, that's who these people are. Yeah. Uh, before we wrap it up, just uh, any final thoughts? What's next for, for Konazeg? Although I feel like the Jamera is, is so new. Maybe that's the focus right now, but you're always looking uh, many, many steps ahead. So uh, what's... Oh. With the risk of me slipping my tongue too much, I will leave that question to Sasha. <laughs> Dangerous, wow. <laughs> no, so so what is the plan? I mean, uh, every time that we get together with our um, uh, design team or engineering team or just between Christian and I and we brainstorm about ideas, there's so much stuff we could do and uh, it doesn't feel like there's enough lifetime to do that. <laughs> but, uh, but there's a lot of really good ideas bouncing around uh, the, the office. Uh, on, a, on a more pragmatic side, uh, you know, aside from being a uh, head of design at Koenigsegg, I'm also a managing director at Raw Design, and it's a company that offers design services to external clients. So I'm very excited about the projects that we have lined up and all the future collaborations that might come around. Uh, like I said, we have a unique team here because uh, it's the only company that doesn't put people into boxes that allows people to think outside the box in terms of their the way they apply their skills be it in engineering in design or in between in gray, gray zone areas and and this talent and potential that we have uh, in our design team we are very excited about doing work externally as well any discussions sorry last Second to last or last second last question. Any discussions about going racing? Wow. Uh, I mean, it's something we would so much love to do. And as Sasha mentioned earlier, uh, we did the CCGT back like 12 years ago or something when there was this, still this GT1 racing. Uh, like a couple, two months after we finished the development and started test driving the car, they shut that down. And you had to build like, minimum 350 cars per year and so no carbon monocoques and, and this and that. It kind of became GT3 and then they started allowing again a little bit more advanced cars, but it basically killed racing for the hypercars uh, we're producing. And we, I mean, when I started, it was kind of the era of the, the F40, uh, at the end of the F40, but when they were racing, uh, the McLaren F1 uh, GT1, of course, uh, the CLK GTR and these kind of cars, uh, That that's that's when I started, and that's kind of the racing car we were, were aiming to build, that, that sort of car. Uh, we're really hoping there is coming back racing for our type of cars. And there was, I mean, there is this hypercar racing series coming into Le Mans now, but it kind of diverged from the ability to really use real road car platforms. But there is a lot of talk about that might still be a possibility in the future. And I think that's when we will be interested to go racing. I'm personally not so, and I think we're maybe a little bit too small of a company as well to, you know, go prototype uh, racing and, and set up a team for that. And it doesn't really bring much to the table for, for the cars we want to develop for our customers and the technology we want to push forward. We want to race kind of what we sell and what people can buy. That's so much more exciting. And I also think 
for, from a spectator perspective, if you had like Bugattis, Koenigseggs, Paganis, Lamborghinis in some kind of modified road state going racing, that is truly exciting. And, and, and I hope we can get there with, with not too much balance of performance so, uh, so we can really show our true potential against these other cars as well. That would be a very exciting class. Yeah. Christian, Sasha, thanks for taking the time with the big time difference. Whenever you're in Los Angeles, please come by and look at some of our cool race cars. Thanks. thanks. Well, great pleasure being uh, part of your show and uh, hope to catch up soon. Yeah, we're looking forward please. to your chat. <laughs> thanks guys thank, thank you, so you. take care all right let me Go uh ahead, man. let me just hit this uh geico guys uh right now geico is offering an extra 15 percent on car motorcycle and rv policies that's 15 percent on top of the money geico can already be saving you so what are you waiting for check out geico.com you won't find a deal like this again uh you want to switch by october 7th to save that extra 15 percent just go to geico.com Wow, man, those guys are interesting. <laughs> I could do two more hours with those guys and not even just talk about cars. Like, we could just talk about – we didn't get into all the innovations and the engineering and all the stuff that those guys have done from their hollow core carbon fiber wheels and catalytic converters and the technology behind their doors. <laughs> it's just There's so much more there, but uh, – it's so uh, this was know. already a task. Uh, uh, this took a team of people to coordinate just with the time difference and the zoom and everything. But you know, it's so funny <laughs> because it's like I just want to go move and work at the Koenigsegg factory because, like, I was uh, I was out of town last week, and um, it's so funny. So it's like I'm always battling against the maids. Like the maids are coming. I'm like, we don't need maids. No one here works. We have a nanny. Let's just clean our house. Does yeah. everyone just clean? Everyone clean your room. It's like, no, but we got to get the maids. You know, it's so funny. I I said to uh, Lynette, why? Well, what do we need? What do the maids do? What do we need the maids for? And, and she goes, they clean the house. <laughs> okay. So, uh. But speaking of this, so I'm like, okay, all right. So then I clean my office, and then I tell them, come in then and clean vacuum and clean the bathroom. Fine. They, they come on Friday morning. Uh, I go play uh, play uh, Phoenix. Uh, sorry, I go play uh, Arizona, Tempe. I'm there for the whole weekend. I come home Sunday night. I walk into my office. The bathroom fan has been running for three days. You know what I mean? <laughs> because they, they switch stuff on. Like, oh, where's the light? Yeah. And then they turn the fart fan on. Yeah. But they don't shut the fart fan. Right. They just find the light, and then they shut the light, and then they leave, and the fan's just running the whole time. Yes. Which is what they do every time. And I'm like, ugh. <laughs> we just, I just had this fan running for two and a half days nonstop. No one's been in this room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And it drives me nuts, and everyone else is just like, so the fan ran. It's like, I don't want... We're burning energy. We're doing why? Just shut it off. Yeah, the inefficiency of it drives me. It drives me insane. It has no. If somebody said it costs nine dollars to run that fan for two and a half days, I would say triple that. I'll pay you to have it shut off. Maybe you should get the Swedes to clean the. Place. I do. I do try to deputize Sunny. Like just walk around. <laughs> Walk, if, if the air conditioning's running at 40 degrees in the theater and no one's in there, you go down there. Yeah. You shut it off. Like, it's just weird. Also, they do something that I don't know why it just drives me nuts. I have, a, I have one of those, like, digital scales yeah. in, my, in my bathroom, and they take it and they lean it up. 
I guess they're cleaning the floor, mm-hmm. but for some reason they leave it tilted up and against the cabinet door. So it's like I have to right. Go so they there. pick it up to mop around or something, and then they just lean it they right. Just... But I don't want to come in and undo what you've done. Just you undo what you've done. Yeah. Yeah, no. good luck with that. Good luck with that. <laughs> All right, let me hit uh, Avery Dennison. Let's talk artist Da Vinci, Michelangelo, legends who stand out. Well, move over, Rembrandt, and tell uh, Botticelli the news. There's a new modern master, Alex Simmons, who installs vehicle wraps using Avery Dennison's Supreme Wrapping Film. I've seen a, I saw a wrapped Jag. E, F, whatever, the all-electric new, you know, four-door, the all-electric SUV. Yeah, the I-Pace. Yeah, it looked good. First time I saw a wrapped uh, Jag I-Pace. Over 120 colors and textures. Your vehicle uh, becomes a canvas, and you can go from so-so to legendary to have you and your art featured in the ads you can visit, by the way. Um so you can put whatever you want on the vehicle, but uh, why not? AveryDennison.com slash standout. So just visit um, and uh, to have your you and your art featured in ads, like I said, visit AveryDennison.com slash standout. I've been by and talked to these guys and looked at all the, you know, the previous SEMA shows when mm-hmm. they've, and uh, seen what they've done with wraps over the years mm-hmm. and how much better they have and all the different colors and metallics and satins and flats and pretty, pretty amazing stuff. Yeah. A uh, lot, a uh, lot, a lot less permanent than painting your car. That's for sure. <laughs> so uh, last we spoke, we did the uh, Z proto unveiling yeah. in, in Tennessee. Uh, I unfortunately never really got a great shot of the car because of the way the stage was set up and the big screen and the, you know, was set up. I was looking at it sort of diagonally or sort of peripherally. I was next to it versus uh, in front of it. But the the new Z Proto looks good. It, it does. And we had some conversation about this, about the design uh, some people had some comments on it, and and Chris, there's plenty of renderings. You'll see like Bob Sharp, BRE renderings. People have already put it out there that you might be able to find uh, of of that car. Here, here's an example. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people have said the front grille looks too big, and I said, yeah. When you zoom in on the photo, the grill is a little bit smaller. Then there's some bodywork that's blacked out. So obviously that can be could be sort of changed in, in different things there. Um, but overall, I felt like the profile of the car, the design of the car, I thought was good. However, I didn't completely agree with the color choice that very, they picked for the proto. Yellow. Well, yeah. the reason why is because I don't think it's meant to be that color. And I think especially during our uh, debut with the Jumbotrons and the, and the video streaming, it came off as like a safety vest, like a very, very bright mm-hmm. kind of color. And then when you, when you Google the car, you'll see v- slight variations of this yellow uh, it, from picture to picture. And yellow is one of those colors that can look good or bad with slight 
changes. Mm-hmm. But if it was a red or a blue, you can go, well, that's kind of a good red, and that's good red, and that's a good blue. There's some slight changes. So I probably would have debuted it in a different color, but I think you guys are going to be impressed with the car when, when it comes out. And I think when you see it in person, it's going to be it's going to be good. Agreed. All right. Last but not least, J.B. Weld. Got a project to get through. I got projects to get through. I always use JB Weld, big or small repairs, home or garage. Ordinary household glue, well, it's just ordinary. You need strong. There's a better choice. We're proud to have JB Weld as a sponsor. They're great. We love uh, this company. I know the owner. I told you we hung out in SEMA. This is very organic. I was just walking through SEMA, saw the JB Weld booth, went in, see if I could get a little five-minute epoxy swag and next thing you know i struck up a conversation i said these guys are the real deal and here they are sponsors they've been around for over 50 years proudly made in the usa you keep jb weld in your kitchen drawer your craft room it'll work on metal wood plastic and more don't glue it jb weld it available jbweld.com home depot lowe's autozone advanced auto parts o'reilly walmart amazon michaels and more it's jb weld All right, Uh, Salt Lake City coming up, Wise Guys, October 2nd and 3rd, and also Live Reasonable Doubt will do at uh, 4 o'clock on Saturday. So Mark Gerga is going to be out there flying his private jet out. Looking forward to that. (laughs) I'm your emotional support animal. It's available, and uh, leave a review on Amazon. I shall uh, check that out. Uh, What do you got uh, over there? Uh, we've got the M3 going to come up on Bring a Trailer soon. We're going to move that uh, car and move on to some other projects. So I'll, I'll uh, follow my social media at Motorator, Motorator, and I'll keep you guys updated on that. So until next time, this is Adam Carolla for Matt, the Motorator D'Andrea, Christian Von Koenigsegg, and Sasha Selipanov saying, <laughs> keep the air and the spare in the bag and the wheel. For the latest updates and call-in times, follow the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at CarCast Show. If you'd like to write in, fill out the form on CarCastShow.com. And don't forget to give us a nice rating on iTunes. CarCast is a Corolla Digital production and is produced by Chris Loxamana. For more information, visit CarCastShow.com. Guys, let me tell you about Geico. Right now, Geico is offering an extra 15% credit on car, motorcycle, and RV policies. That's 15% on top of the money Geico could already be saving you. So what are you waiting for? You're waiting for your dog to make you breakfast in bed? Well, that's not going to happen. But saving money can. There's never been a better time now to switch to Geico. Save an extra 15% when you switch by October 7th. Visit Geico.com for more information. That's Geico.com.